years ago, a Sun reporter and a worshiper at Faith, Jonathan Pitts, wrote an article, Give Forgiveness a Chance, and recounted the story of Jerry Sitzer, a religious professor of, from Spokane, Washington, who instantly lost his wife, uh, his mother, and his son in a head-on collision, shattering his life. And uh, he wrote a book called Disguised by Grace, and he explored uh, and described the nature of uh, his healthy grieving, and as is he sought to bring and to heal his own heart. And this is what he said. He said, More destruction has been done from unforgiveness than from all the wrongdoing in the world that created the conditions for it. And Mr. Pitts, he quoted Kim Souter, our counselor and director of spiritual formation, who said, people will always hurt each other, betray each other in large ways and small. As long as we live in a fallen world, there, there will be injustices. Forgiveness is the only thing that breaks the chain of bad human behavior. The question for you and I is, how do we break the chains of unforgiveness in a world so full of offenses and crimes and losses? Well, Jesus helps us here in Matthew 18. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, and in this Gospel, Matthew is seeking to provide proofs and presenting Jesus as the one who has come as the promised King, the Son of God, the Savior, not first to deliver the Israelites from their Roman oppressors, but to deliver his people from their sins. And Jesus has come to usher in an eternal kingdom comprised of both Jews and Gentiles and is calling disciples to follow him and to be this radical community to show and to display before the world what does it look like to have Jesus as their king. And Jesus is now preparing uh, and he is preparing himself to move deliberately to Jerusalem where he will die. And our text in chapter 18 is the last time that Jesus is in Galilee. And he begins to drill down deeper about the true character of discipleship. And particularly about the heart of disciples with the call to be followers characterized by a life of humility and forgiveness. And here he presses his disciples to be those who practice forgiveness from the heart. Let's look at Matthew 18, starting with verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed, shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And, about, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, many years ago, my brother was a pastor in Oklahoma City. And I had the opportunity to visit him and uh, to have uh, lunch with him and one of his elders by the name of Gene. Now, Gene was a very tall man, six foot five. He was in his mid-50s, and he played basketball for the Oklahoma State. And so uh, in my minuscule wealth of basketball knowledge, I asked him what he thought of, the, uh, of, of Coach Phil Jackson, who was at that time the coach of the L.A. Lakers, who won the NBA that year. And I asked him if he felt that, that Jackson made the difference in the team winning over the Arizona Jazz, who was coached by Larry Bird. And I must have asked him that question three times in different ways. And there was just a big hesitation in responding to me, and it was odd because Gene was a sports fanatic and very engaged in everything else we were talking about. And it seemed like every time I asked him that there was a brick wall in his response. And then with the grace and humility of a godly elder, he confessed the reason. He said this, I didn't answer you because of a bad memory I had with Phil. Our team, our team played the North Dakota State, the team Phil Jackson played on in college, and we beat their butts off. And on a trip to Music City Hall, I saw Phil and went up to him to greet him. Hey, aren't you Phil Jackson? And before I had the chance to rub, it, rub the victory in, he was very gruff and he didn't give me the time of day. Now that little incident happened more than 20 years ago. And Gene still carries that hurt of feeling disrespected. How about you? <laughs> Does the memory of how someone hurt you stir up pain in your heart? Do you ever daydream about an enemy and imagine really bad things happening to them? Or when something bad happens to someone who has offended you, you think serves them right? 
Is there someone you haven't spoken to deliberately? These are signs that you struggle with an unforgiving heart. It is really very natural for us to have such responses to someone who has hurt us. And most people think forgiveness is a good thing, but there are limits, and people should be held accountable for what they have done. I remember preaching on forgiving your enemies uh, some many years ago, and apparently I was reported that there was a woman in the restroom that uh, she said she had a gun, and she didn't care what that pastor said. She was going to kill that blankety-blank. Uh, fortunately, that did not happen. But it revealed the power of anger and unforgiveness of her heart. And here Jesus says unforgiveness or the ability to forgive is a heart matter. And Jesus reveals how serious it is. So also my heavenly Father will do er to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from the heart. And here in Matthew 18, Jesus presses the heart matters in the call of forgiveness in the kingdom to his disciples. And he shows us that such heart and kingdom forgiveness is about family fidelity, about countless offenses, and about a merciful master. Kingdom forgiveness is about family fidelity. It's a family affair. Jesus says, if your brother uh, sins against you, if your sister sins against you, in our passage, Jesus had been giving lessons of the kingdom and particularly dealing with matters of pride and self-centeredness. And uh, this passage, actually, the word uh, in the original language actually begins this passage moreover, so it's connecting with what Jesus had said before. And in Matthew 18, the, G the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him about, you know, uh, who's the greatest, you know, who's the greatest in the world? And, and Jesus starts to deal with their, their pride and their self-righteousness. And he basically says, you have to become like one of these little, humble, uh, neglected, marginal children. Uh, you need to become helpless like them. They're the great ones in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, over and over again, is sharing with them what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. It's not about being proud and self-righteous. It's about humility. And it's also about pursuing those who have gone astray. And right before this passage, uh, he talks about how uh, the shepherd goes after the one stray and leaves the 99. And it talks about how God has the heart of a good shepherd who goes after those who have wandered away. And then Jesus speaks about if a brother sins against you. And so Jesus is correcting the way people handled offenses. Someone else, he would say, instead of cutting the person off or gossiping about them or talking down about them, Jesus tells them to show love by pursuing the offender for their spiritual well-being, for their growth, for their health in the church, and for a restoration. Don't go around dissing, venting your anger, blabbing your mouth about what a jerk this person is, slandering them, tearing them down. But it's, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And so he uses family language He he because if you take the offender, and you place them in a position that are disconnected from you, you have disconnected them from the person of forgiveness. Uh, Miroslav Volf, a Croatian, Croatian, a 
Protestant theologian said this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Uh, In other words, Tim Keller said, you can only stay angry with somebody because you feel superior to them. You would never do that. You can't exclude people from the community of humans or you from the community of sinners. You must identify or you stay in the jailhouse of anger. And so what Jesus is saying is that this is your brother. This is your sister. You are not above them. You are not above their their offenses and transgressions. And you have a responsibility to go after them. You know, regardless of whether someone has offended you or you know that someone feels offended by you, you have a responsibility to work to restore that broken relationship. That is what the community where Jesus reigns functions like. And he's showing how the community of the king functions. Uh, Matthew 5, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. Go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, you really can't worship me. You can't worship God if there is an offense out there that hasn't been addressed. This is so important for you to reconcile and work on your relationships. You can't say you love God and not pursue your brother or sister who you have a broken relationship with. This is a very serious thing. Galatians, he says, Brothers, if someone, anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what we see here is the, the, the nature of the, of the body of Christ as a family body, as brothers and sisters. And we have to do everything we can to address the brokenness in, in the relationships. You know, this is the second time that Jesus uses the word church in Matthew. We talked uh, some weeks ago, he used it in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. Well, this is the second time. And the word church is the word for assembly, the gathering of worshipers of God's people who have been called out uh, from the oppressive systems and, and forces of the world to come before a liberating God. And so what we find that Jesus is affirming the aspect of the integrity of the church. And to protect that integrity, you have to protect relationships. You're responsible to engage each other. I don't have time to go into all the details of this passage, but you know what we see is that Jesus uh, encourages a movement that protects the honor and the dignity and the name of people who have been the offenders or the offended. And you're to go to that person privately, personally. Don't make a bigger deal out of this than it should be. And you seek to appeal to this person. This is something that has wounded me, has hurt me. This is not becoming the follower of Christ. Can you, can you address this? And if the person hopefully will say, yes, I, you know, I didn't realize I did this or said this and it made you feel that way, please forgive me. That's great. You've won your sister or your brother. But if this person doesn't get it and they keep resisting, then it says, well, you have to raise the heat some. <laughs> you bring another brother or sister with you, and you 
and you try to persuade and you pray and you encourage this person. And if they continue to resist repentance, and it says, well, then you tell it to the church. And what he's referring to is to tell it to the, 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 the shepherding uh, structure of the church to appeal to that person to repent. And so there's a the whole movement, but it starts very small. Uh, and, and if the person continues to rebel and to not repent, well, then the church is responsible to declare that this person is not living as a disciple of Jesus Christ, whom they said they professed, that they're not living in accordance with the truth of the gospel. And so because of their behavior, because they continue to resist, then we are declaring that this person is not a member of, of the body of Christ. That's what excommunication is, excommune. And so Jesus has given this whole flow of this. It's, it's something that's not to be done by individuals, but something to be done corporately in prayer with humility. The purpose, by the way, of, uh, of church discipline is always for the restoration of the offender. Uh, in our book of Church George, it says, The power which Christ has given the church for the building up and not for destruction, it is to be exercised as under a dispensation of mercy and not of wrath. In this it acts the part of a tender mother correcting her children for their good, that every one of them may be presented faultless in the day of the Lord Jesus. That actually, there's a lot of stuff in the book of church order that kind of guide our church, but this is a really good statement. Uh, there was a, the church that I came out of, uh, Liberty, uh, there, was a, there was a situation where a man who was married, had children, had fallen into an adulterous relationship. And the church practiced this. People went after him, appealed for him to, to repent from this very destructive relationship, to return to his wife, to repent and return to his wife. And this brother just kept resisting. And after a period of time, the church had to do exactly what Jesus has said in this passage and basically excommunicate him as he's not living according to the truth of the gospel. We cannot assume that he is a, a professed believer. But here's the thing. Jesus said, such a person you to treat as a tax collector and a Gentile. Well, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? He loved them. He pursued them. He maintained a relationship with them. They just weren't outcasts, okay? They were people to be pursued for the kingdom. And what I saw is that this pastor, Mark Pett, continued to go after this, this, this brother who had, had fallen. And in time, he repented. Uh, he came to realize the seriousness of his sin. He came back. He asked his wife to forgive him he, and the church, and he was restored to full, to full restoration as a, as a brother. It was a beautiful picture. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of the forgiveness without requiring repentance, Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And so what you see here that Jesus takes very, very seriously the integrity of the body of Christ. You know, the church, we say, you know, often hear the church is a body full of hypocrites. Well, the church is a body full of sinners. But the true church is a body full of sinners who are committed to repentance. 
who are seeking to live in repentance and who are seeking to be part of a body of believers who will help and they invite to be part of their growth and spiritual growth in the Lord and who will hold them accountable. That's what church membership is about. And so when you think about where you are in this flow, do you, are you in a body? Are you connected vitally into a body of faith, whether it's here or someplace, where you have people that will be praying for you, who know you, that will help you stay accountable? Jesus talks about the church in those ways. But kingdom forgiveness is not just a matter, a matter of family fidelity and a family affair, but kingdom forgiveness is about countless offenses. And Jesus shows the demands of forgiveness. Lord, how often, Peter says, will, I, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And so Jesus is uh, instructing Peter here. Now, Peter, it seemed like Peter got stuck when he heard the phrase, if your brother sins against you. Like, it was almost like he didn't hear the rest of this, <laughs> of what Jesus said. And he started thinking, well, okay, if he, you know, if he offends me once, I'll forgive him. But, like, what about the next time and the next time and the next time? Well, how many times should I you know, forgive him. And Peter's actually thinking he's being very generous here in his uh, response uh, because the rabbis of the day uh, said, uh, Rabbi Jose Ben Hanna said, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. He said, if a man commits an offense once, forgive him. If he commits an offense second time, forgive him. If he commits an offense third time, forgive him. The fourth time, do not forgive him. <laughs> the thought was that God would forgive three times, but no more. Maybe that's where we get three strikes and you're out. <laughs> but here Peter is going way beyond three strikes to seven strikes. Oh, he is more than doubling what the rabbis taught. Look how gracious I am, Jesus. Maybe Peter, you know, thought that, you know, he had been around Jesus enough and saw how good he was, and he says, yeah, I'm going to double this. He had a really big heart. But Jesus said, you don't get it, Peter. It's not seven times, but 77 times, or it's an innumerable times. It's an infinite time. It's hard for us to keep forgiving, isn't it? when we are offended over and over and over again. And we get satisfaction uh, when something bad happens to someone that has offended us. We nurse grudges and we seek revenge. I will never forget. Our tendency is to limit the grace of forgiveness. Uh, Frederick Buchner said this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. <laughs> and he just talks about just how anger, unchecked, unforgiving heart will ultimately eat us up. 
uh, Jerry uh, Sitzer, the man that I talked about at the beginning, he says that an inability to forgive on a personal level makes a person sick by projecting the same scene of pain into the soul day after day, as if it were a videotape that never stops, that rep repetition pollutes the soul. Forgiveness means, among other things, that we refuse to play the videotape over and over again. We put it on the shelf. We play other tapes that are healing us. You catch that? It's not enough to just to say, no, I won't be angry with this person. It's not going to be enough. You have to play other tapes. You need something to rip. You need something bigger and greater than that offense to play other tapes. And Jesus gives the parable of the merciful king. One of the great illustrations of a person who knows and was practicing playing that other tape was Nadine Collier. And she was the daughter of one of the women that was shot down with the other eight African-Americans in the Bible study in the uh, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston on that horrible day of June the 17th, 2015. And uh, she said in the bond hearing that forgiveness isn't weak. It's not resignation or a duty done begrudgingly. It is not easy. But she said these three words two days after those murders, I forgive you to Dylan Roof. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, I, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. And she acknowledged where the source of her forgiveness was. And Jesus knows that Peter was limiting the perspective of the mercy of God and the magnitude of his own sin and his own need for forgiveness. He had a very limited view. But Jesus shows us that kingdom forgiveness is about a merciful master, an amazingly merciful master. And he says, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. And so Jesus gives Peter this parable of the unmerciful servant and reveals God as the one who lavishes grace and boundless forgiveness on big sinners. But it also shows that while the, the, the big sinner has been forgiven, it also shows that big sinners will not always feel that mercy. Uh, Tim Keller speaks about the whole, this passage, and he says there's three things that a person needs to do in order to forgive. You have to, ma the master took pity, the master canceled the debt, and let him go. And in, those, in that framework, uh, what we find is that the heart of the master went out to this, uh, this, this person in great debt. As he pleaded, it says, he took pity on him. Uh, there was a uh, theologian uh, by the name of B.B. Uh, Warfield. And in that, he talked about the emotional life of Jesus. And in that 
one of the key phrases that keeps repeating in the Gospels is that Jesus' heart. It talks about, and he felt compassion for the, the pity, or he felt compassion for the crowds. He took pity on the people. Uh, and what that phrase means is that he fell from the very depths of his guts, in a sense. He was moved to the very core of his being for the people in their particular need. His heart went out. And what it's saying here is the heart of this king went out to this servant who was in great debt. And it talks about he canceled the debt. He pleaded and he canceled the debt. And how big was this debt? Well, this debt, uh, these these thousand, ten, ten thousand talents we're talking about, someone's estimated billions of dollars or, you know, millions of dollars, just an enormous amount of debt. And he forgave that. He took pity on him, he forgave the debt, and he let him go. And what the point that Jesus is driving is that, Peter, you're the one, you disciples are the one that have been forgiven much. And if you lose a perspective of how much you are a sinner, you will lose perspective of how you need to forgive others because you're not above these others who have sinned and offended you. Uh, Dan Allender said in a book called Bold Love, Loving an Evil Person or Loving a Fool or Loving a Normal Sinner. These are some of the chapter headings. He said, I will not live with the purpose and joy unless I love. I will not be able to love unless I forgive. And I will not be able to forgive unless my hatred is continually melted by the searing truth and the grace of the gospel. He said, the extent to which some but one truly loves will be positively correlated to the degree the person is stunned and silenced by the wonder that his huge debt has been canceled. And where can you find that wonder where you're silenced because of your debt? Well, <laughs> Jesus gives us this reminder, doesn't he? Jesus knows that we tend to limit the magnitude of our sin. We tend to magnify the sins of others. And this table is a reminder to you and I that our sins were so big, your sins were so great, my sins were so huge, that the only way it could be resolved is by the death of a perfect son, the Son of God. And this table is a reminder that my sin is huge, but this table is also a reminder that God's love is bigger still. This table is a reminder that God loves us to the very depths, that his heart went out to you and me, and that he was willing to give his only son. And as we are stunned in the silence of what he has done for us, we will have the power to forgive transgressions of others. Who's this table for? It's for anyone who has come to acknowledge Jesus Christ who has confessed their sins and are seeking in humble repentance uh, to live uh, in, in following him and to seek faithfulness in his church. And if you're here today and you, you've repented from your sins and you're seeking faithfulness to Christ and he welcomes you to this table, this isn't a table of Faith Christian Fellowship. This is not a table for perfect people. This is a table for sinners who are seeking to live repentant lives. If you haven't done that, I appeal to you to just pray and ask God to reveal Jesus to you more that you could become a son or daughter and partake of this meal. This is a family meal. 
like they asked the officers to come forward. 